Welcome to the Mothers You Know podcast. Thank you for being here. This is a place where we as women remember the spirit God gave us. We know how much we matter and we believe all things are possible to them that believe on this Savior Jesus Christ. Here at Mothers Who Know, we support the parents of young men in the Sons of Helaman and young women in the Daughters of Light programs at Life Changing Services. These programs provide therapeutic and mentoring services for youth struggling with depression, anxiety, self-harm, pornography, and any other unwanted or difficult behaviors. We offer parent support, training, and resources for mothers and fathers seeking the best way to support their loved one. Any mother is welcome to join in the Mothers Who Know classes support and training. You do not need to have a child in life-changing services to join in. We hope you'll join us. I am Karen Broadhead. I serve as the director of Mothers You Know, and I serve as the parent support specialist at life-changing services. I invite you to join with me and other mothers from across the country in our Warrior Mothers Who Know online support and training group held every Tuesday at 10.30 a.m. Mountain Time. If you have a child struggling with pornography, depression, anxiety, or other difficult behaviors, you will find a safe and uplifting place to learn from other moms and learn principles and strategies to best support your loved one. Please go to motherswhoknow.org to find the online meeting details. We talk about difficult things here with the intent to shine light in dark corners and to eliminate isolation and shame. We are mothers with warrior hearts who are raising the warriors of this generation. We know we must learn to fight well for ourselves first. Then we can confidently support and cheer on our loved ones in the best ways. Welcome to our Mothers You Know Stay by the Tree webinar series. We're so excited that you've joined us this morning. Just so you know, our Stay by the Tree webinar series is sponsored by Life Changing Services. A part of Life Changing Services is Mothers Who Know, and within Mothers Who Know, we teach a mom power course. If you have any questions about any of our programs or life-changing services in general, please call our main office at 877-437-6877 and you will talk with one of the most amazing women you have ever met before. So really, if you're just feeling down and want to talk to somebody, just call our office for no reason other than just chat with somebody because she's so nice. But anyway, if you have anything going on in your house and you really need to talk to somebody about what might be going on in your household, she's a really good person to call to. So anyway, 877-437-6877 or lifechangingservices.org and you'll see all of the different programs that we offer. And you can also take a look at all of the different therapists that work with us. We have, wow, probably about 30 of them and all of them specialize in different things. They're all LTS. So they all have the same standards that we do and they're all licensed. And anyway, they're all awesome. So before I go on and introduce you to one of our therapists today, I just want to let you know 
that everybody is welcome to take our mom power course. It's free for everybody. And it teaches you a lot of the principles that are taught through life-changing services. So mom power is applying powerful tools and principles to find ongoing courage and peace as a mom. Amid life's challenges, we can stand in any storm with the savior by our side. So if you want to take that course, go to mompowertraining.com and register. It's totally free for everybody as we introduce you to all of the different principles and things that you can learn in your life that will just help you stand strong and be a more powerful mom. In the Mom Power training course, we have live mini sessions. It's actually an online course. It's open enrollment. You can register and start taking the classes anytime you want. And if you want to attend some of the live mini courses with Karen, we will start in two weeks on Tuesday, November 17th, right here in this same Zoom room. And then you can come and ask questions and get a little bit more in depth. In between each of the mom power sessions, we offer this series called Stay by the Tree, Messages of Hope, and it's for all women. So today we are blessed to have Kim Day, who is one of our therapists who works with the Worth Program. And if you want some more information about Worth, go to our website at healingwithworth.org, or you can go to the lifechainingservices.org and click on the Worth tab. The Kim's topic today, and I'm going to let her introduce this a little bit more, is recognizing and responding to destructive and abusive relationship patterns. So first, I'm just going to show you this really cute picture of Kim and her family, and I'll let Karen introduce you a little bit more. But as I was going over the slides this morning, and she sent this cute picture in, it looks like it's Halloween with her and her cute kids. And for those that are listening on the recording, they're all dressed up. We have a princess and a ladybug and a duck and Kim's dressed up. And anyway, it's really cute. So I'm going to turn the time back over to Karen and Kim and let them go ahead and get started. Thanks, April. You are so wonderful at that. Good morning, ladies. I'm Karen Broadhead, the director of Mothers You Know, and I'm so grateful that you would take your time to be with us this morning. And if you're listening to us on the recording and you weren't able to make it in person, welcome. We're so grateful to have you here, and we hope that today's webinar will bring you some hope and some healing and some things to consider. Just the word that we are addressing today is kind of a big word for lots of people. And I'm so appreciative for Kim and for her spirit, for her goodness, and for the time and energy she's put into her own personal healing, as well as the time and energy she's put into then make, you know, the mess that is often that place that needs to be healed, something that's a really important message for us today. And in visiting with her, it was so obvious to us. And we really felt the spirit that what she's going to talk to us about today is going to be necessary, not just as women and people who go through mortality and lots of things bump into us. Lots of things happen to really amazing people. And some people get all lost in the weeds and then what they do can affect other people while they're trying to heal or while they're trying to figure things out. And so just this word abuse can be kind of disturbing or sad or even triggering for women. 
And so we come with our prayer in our heart today that you will also send up a little prayer right now that we'll all be cared for in this space and that Kim will have the spirit to be with her as she's teaching and sharing with us. This morning, as I was considering this, I read, oh, two or three talks and was also looking at the church's website on abuse. And I am so grateful to know and have a testimony of being someone who has experienced abuse in my life. And I really, almost every woman I meet, I think can relate to abuse at some level. And so I think it's just so important to testify that I know that Christ is the great healer. And that's something that we really stress here at Mothers Who Know in our resources. But also we want to highlight that that the adversary, Satan, is the great abuser, that he takes advantage of mortality and those things that bump into us. And he really supports abuse. I want to read one quote before we get started by Elder Richard G. Scott. He says this in his talk to the heal the shattering consequences of abuse is the title of his talk, but this is how he started his talk because it was sensitive. He said, some matters are so sensitive and intensely personal and can awaken such disturbing feelings that they are seldom mentioned publicly. Yet if tenderly and compassionately treated in the light of truth, Discussion of these matters can bring great understanding with the ease, with the easing of pain, the blessing of healing, and even the avoidance of further tragedy. And I know that that is the spirit that Kim is coming in today, and we're just so grateful. And so, Kim, thank you so much. We're going to turn the time over to you. Oh, wait, stop. I forgot to mention at the top of the hour, we will go into a Q&A portion of this meeting. So if you have things, thoughts that you'd like to share, resources, or have questions for Kim, I invite you to, to just have a pen and a paper and to consider those things that you might want to address. Okay, now we're ready, Kim. Thanks. Thank you so much, Karen. I appreciate you showing the pictures that, and I appreciate you alluding to, yeah, this is my story as well, that... You may have noticed between the duck, she's actually a chicken in the picture. She's Chica from FNAF. She's a lot bigger. She's my 10-year-old. So I was married and went through a divorce and then remarried. And so I have a four-year-old, a one-year-old. And yes, I am expecting a pumpkin <laughs> from, that, from that picture in May. And I just found out he is another little boy. So I'll have two girls and two boys. Now, my little boy, my one-year-old, he just, well, a few months ago, he just started to walk. And for those of you who are moms, you, I'm sure relate to that time where there, where everything is, everything is interesting. There's so much curiosity. He got to the height just recently where he could see over the table if he cocked his head just a certain way and stood on his tippy toes. So he would go around like this with one big eye so he could see what was on the, the flat surfaces above him. And anything he couldn't see, he would just throw his arms up and he'd grab, and he still does this. And anything that he can get, he 
He has to touch it. He has to taste it. He has to throw it. What sound does it make when it throws on the floor? Does it break? He has to move it to somewhere else in the house. And I'm sure probably many of you are are familiar with that stage. Well, my four-year-old who has been doing this for four years, she considers herself a, a resident expert in life. And she lets me know on a regular basis. Mom, she told me that, Mom, I'm an expert on the brain. I'm an expert in whatever topic we're discussing. Because she really, she sees herself as, well, I've learned so much more than little brother. And she she's very proud of what she knows. And I had the chance just a, a few days ago to, uh, while I was laying down with her, trying to get her to go to sleep, to sample some of what she'd learned. And uh, we were discussing kittens. She and her sister got kittens this spring and they're getting big and she would like more kittens. And so she wants her cat to have kittens. So we're talking about that. And I was trying to explain gently that that wasn't going to happen. But she insisted, she says, no, when they lay their eggs, there will be chitlins. And it, it made me pause. It made me giggle. But that in her experience, her life experience is with grandma's chickens and grandma's turkeys and so she just assumed that kittens also or cats lay eggs and that kittens hatch from eggs like everything else and so we had a little bit of a chance to talk as I recognized her learning and how that process happened and really what I want to talk about today is is learning and how we're impacted by some of the false messages that are are prevalent in our culture and impact us in very, very powerful ways, either personally or through the learning of someone who is close to us. And to do this, what I'd like to present to you is my model of and my concept of essentially what partners experience is and some of the outcomes of pornography use. And so I'm going to share my screen if I can do that really quick. Sexual addiction and pornography addiction and the the way that Satan has distorted human sexuality and human relationships, that has been around probably since the beginning of time. But it has become something that's uh, studied and that uh, there's a much more awareness. There was a much more awareness brought of it in around the 1980s with Patrick Carnes. But not until maybe just this last decade or two decades have there really been an awareness of how a pornography or a sexual addiction impacts the partner. And often we conceptualize a pornography addiction or conceptualize the impact of pornography and based on the level of acting out behaviors that that person who's addicted is engaging in. And we think of it in terms of pornography use and any other uh, addictive, or excuse me, sexually addictive behavior. It could be chat rooms, strip clubs, all sorts of things. We also know that there's an escalation in behavior, whether that be more use, harder core use from pornography or an escalating to other types of behaviors as well, like acting out when affairs and other, all sorts of acting out. We could spend an entire webinar talking about that, but that's not our subject today. But acting out behaviors, or what we know with a a sexual addiction or with a pornography addiction, there are also almost always other forms of behaviors that are destructive to the relationship. It's not just the acting out 
There's the secret keeping, the compartmentalizing, a lack of empathy, and also other behaviors that just allow the addicted partner to maintain this secret life. And these are always destructive to a partner. These, and they can be, and in some instances should be considered abusive. They are always intensely destructive. But what I have found in working with women for the last several years in the WORTH program is that this is only part of the puzzle. First of all, before I go into the second part of the puzzle, for me, I just want to highlight that one thing that we know is the more acting out increases, the more the the uh, secret keeping, the more compartmentalizing, the more acting out behaviors increases, there's a strong correlation to betrayal trauma of the partner. And this is the piece that is not yet in public awareness. There's certainly a stronger awareness with clinicians now that this is the case. But having sought my own therapy, the majority of trained counselors that I went to didn't even know the term betrayal trauma. And there, there is still a lot of work to be done to recognize the partner's experience when there is a when there's an addiction in the family and there's almost no research on how it impacts children, that's still a big gap. But we'll talk a little bit about that today and what, what we can do. So the other piece that I want to add, what I have found is there is another dimension to understanding pornography use, pornography addiction, and the impact on a spouse and, and quite frankly, on a whole family. We'll put our acting out behaviors here on the y-axis, and we're going to add an x-axis here and make this something we can graph so that we can get a little bit of a visual and also be able to see some more of the nuances that individual women experience when a partner is struggling with an addiction. In addition to be able to graph or chart how much is the acting out, the acting out is, is based on what they're doing outside the relationship for the most part and what they do to maintain the secret. What oftentimes is missed, and I feel that it's far too late to start, or we, that we certainly need to have more conversations about what does the, the learning aspect of pornography use, how does it impact the behavior and the attitudes within the relationship? Oftentimes, when somebody is, has been struggling for, with an addiction, that has, that's been going on for years, if not decades. Oftentimes it starts in early adolescence or before, and this becomes habitual behavior that, has, that someone who's struggling with this addiction goes to, again, for oftentimes many, many hours a week, over weeks and months and years and even decades. And we don't very often talk about the learning aspect of what they are internalizing, but by the messages, by the images, uh, by the, um, yeah, the societal role messages that are depicted in pornography. Pornography is very abusive towards women. It is very misogynistic. It is very entitled. It does not, and I know this is a well-duh, Kim, <laughs> but it does not depict healthy relationships. And so when men have been, or women, have been exposed to these messages over long periods of time, or even short periods of time, there is 
there is an internalization of those beliefs. And all men internalize it at a different rate and different ways. Sometimes they haven't even been exposed to pornography before they start to internalize these beliefs because it's modeled. It's modeled possibly by their parents and their 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 family of origin. And sadly, it's modeled in our culture. I was talking to a supervisor the other day and, and she pointed out that video games are notorious for depicting and sexualizing women. And so our culture is rampant with these messages that we very often don't consider the impact on the learning side of what does that mean about women and their value? Where do they get their value? What is their value? I remember my ex-husband telling me, and he was absolutely adamant. He said, your power is in your embrace it. That's how you control men. That's how you, that's where you get your worth. You know, pick that up. You have so much power there. And I remember thinking, having just been married in the temple and to this in my mind, what this good, healthy, righteous man that is that true? Is that really how things work? I didn't know much about how sexuality worked. And I had to grapple with some of those ideas of where is my value? Where is my worth? So on this x-axis, I have destructive and abusive attitudes and beliefs. And these are the beliefs that literally they, they can soak into the bones of any person, man or woman, that, that distort a healthy relationship and cause them to engage with a partner in ways that are demeaning, that are disrespectful, that are entitled, that are superior. And that entitlement and superiority is huge in this this x-axis the more entitled the other piece of this is the like i mentioned the learning when men or women i suppose get used to objectifying an image a stranger and sexualizing that person who is no longer a person to them that learned behavior becomes much easier to mimic in other relationships including that of their wife and often they objectify their wife in the relationship in a variety of ways. It may be sexually, it may be in other ways. And they, again, that, it, the, the attitude of entitlement of you are there to meet my needs, my needs or my perspectives or better or higher or more important than yours. Rarely, if ever, is this directly spoken, but often it is deeply felt and it is very damaging to a partner to engage with someone they love in a way that is that. Oftentimes they can't quite put their finger on, but feels that feels wrong. And that belief that the partner has of her value, her worth, where it is, how much it is, that is faulty, that is flawed, that is based on satanic learning, is then felt by the partner and she starts to internalize it herself. And so I'm going to call this X this X-axis inappropriate acting within. So if we look at Acting out behaviors as a source of, of trauma for the partner. We also have to look at how are they engaging within the relationship because that is just as much often and sometimes more a source of trauma for women. So just to kind of further exemplify some of the nuances of being able to see the differences, I'm going to I'm going to break this into four quadrants. And at some point as those destructive and abusive attitudes and beliefs that are held by 
man, um, out of them spring any number of destructive relationship patterns. Again, often you are talking about entitlement, we're talking about superiority, and they are always connected to a form of dehumanization. In 2017, at the Utah Coalition Against Pornography Conference, <laughs> actually, I have a side note, I think that's the first time I ever met life-changing services. I found out about it the day before the conference. I had my little four-year-old, she was a little tiny baby. I found out about that conference. I bought a airline ticket. I flew down with my little baby and I showed up for this conference, not knowing anything. I don't even think at that point I'd heard the term betrayal trauma or had just barely heard it. And I attended this conference and the keynote speaker, I missed part of it, but his name, and now I, I had it written down, but the keynote speaker talked on how, why pornography is fundamentally wrong. And I loved his talk. It, it so moved me because he talked about oftentimes we conceptualize the reason pornography is wrong is because of the outcomes, some of the things that happen as a consequence of pornography. It is, it can be addictive. Absolutely, it can be. Not can be destructive. It can, young people can be exposed to it accidentally. There's a whole list of reasons that oftentimes we pinpoint as to why pornography is wrong. But he argued that even if it's about a consequence of using pornography, then what we do if it, pornography is wrong because it can be addictive is we help people to manage their usage. And like with alcohol or with something else, and we say, okay, you have to manage your drinking, you have to manage your gambling. And if you just can't handle it, it's too compulsive, then maybe you need to cut it off altogether. And if it's because young people are exposed to it, well, then we make stricter laws. If it's because it depicts violence, well, then we restrict what's shown in pornography. But even if we did all those things to try to re repair the damage that pornography does as a consequence, it, there was there's still something fundamentally that feels wrong about pornography because there is. And he argued it is because it teaches, it teaches us to dehumanize another human being. There is something fundamentally wrong about making a person an object. A person is, was never meant to be an object for use. A person is not a, an object to be consumed. And whenever you make that happen, there is no way to make that right. That is that it is a crime against nature. It's a crime against humanity. That process of dehumanizing something that's sacred, someone, excuse me, someone who is sacred, someone who is beautiful, someone who is a complete person. Well, that, again, that learned behavior of being able to learn, of dehumanizing somebody and making somebody an object for use, an object for consumption, it doesn't stay just to pornography use. It extends to other relationships and sadly and painfully, agonizingly painfully for some of you women, it has extended into your relationships. And so that is a factor in 
evaluating what are the consequences pornography for you and your relationship? Where is that trauma? Now, at some point, very often as you move along the x-axis of destructive and abusive attitudes and beliefs, you hit a point where most people recognize this becomes domestic violence. The acting out and the attitudes about entitlement to this, I, I'm entitled to this treatment or, or being able to treat my partner in, in this way leads to behaviors that most people will recognize. And so we're going to make this, this gray part or this gray part of the graph where we often begin to recognize domestic violence. But as you can see, there's a spectrum here and there is destruction and pain and trauma well before we're at a level where we, we recognize domestic violence. I want to compare a couple ladies here on this just to kind of show how being in different areas of this graph will be a very different experience for different women. So we have Susan up here. Susan's husband is very high in acting out behaviors. And he has done a very good job at compartmentalizing. He, and I'm just, this is completely a made up example. <laughs> so this isn't based on anybody, but this is something that I see. This is not uncommon where the acting out has escalated over time to include way more than pornography. There may be affairs, there may be prostitution. And he becomes an excellent secret keeper, an excellent liar. His, uh, and he is able to keep his acting out life separate for the most part from his, his relationship with his wife. However, at home, when he comes back into that compartment of home and family, he's soft and he's gentle. He loves Susan. He wants to preserve his family. He and he wants to he wants to be an engaged, loving father and parent. Now, when Susan finds out about the acting out, there will be immense trauma. There will be a deep feeling of betrayal. There will be anger and there will be hurt as she comes to this understanding that he was doing these things and it was and how wrong it was to her. How how there is absolutely becomes this imbalance of power in the relationship because she's not aware of all these things that he's doing. So there is betrayal trauma for Susan immensely. But her trauma is going to look very different in some ways than Tanya's trauma. Tanya, we have down here where her husband may not be acting out as much or as, as <clears throat> his acting out may have not escalated to that point where Susan's husband did. Maybe he's just doing regular pornography or maybe he did. And maybe on occasion there's some strip clubs or maybe he was acting out and now he's dealt, dialed back a little bit and he's gained some sense of maybe just sobriety, but his attitudes and beliefs and the way he engages with Tanya are very toxic. He has no problem using her to meet his needs and feeling entitled to that. A little bit of a side note, when we talk about acting out behaviors and a someone who's struggling with addiction goes in for help with those behaviors with a CSAT or some sort of professional, most of the time what they'll start with is identifying what behaviors are outside the value system of that individual. Maybe they're having affairs and they themselves don't believe it's appropriate to have affairs when you're married, but they find themselves compulsively, repeatedly drawn to these behaviors that they do not believe are right. So they start with the individual's value system to determine 
or at least in a large part, help to determine what are the acting out behaviors for, because for every addict, they're, they're different. This is very different when we look at the x-axis, because with the destructive and abusive attitudes and beliefs, it is their value system. And so in some cases, these men are treating their wives exactly how they think their wives as much as they think she deserves. But their standards are faulty because they no longer see her and value her the way that she deserves. They have learned and have adopted these destructive beliefs that allow him to see her as less than, less important or less value, or to see her worth as she's there to meet my needs. And so after many, many years of this experience with Tanya, she is probably really confused. She feels bad about, she doesn't like the acting out behaviors. And she may even tie, the problem is the pornography use. And maybe he cuts back on his pornography use, but her treatment within the marriage doesn't really change because maybe he even completely fixes the compulsive acting out that he, what we call, he gains some degree of sobriety over his compulsive acting out. And yet that doesn't change his attitudes. That doesn't fundamentally address his beliefs and the learning that he has internalized and adopted as his own from all of those years of pornography. And simply, maybe just simply being part of our culture, wanting to believe that that message of entitlement. And so both Susan and Tanya have a lot of trauma, but how they approach it and how their, their healing journey is going to look very different. And quite frankly, I see far too many women way up here where acting out is extreme and these abusive attitudes and beliefs are, are very, very high. Often I see women crossing this line where I can clearly see that it's domestic violence. And most of the time women do not recognize that at least initially. So I want to broaden this graph for a moment moment because in looking at just this little narrow lens it may seem that our goal is to get down here in the corner where acting out is low and destructive attitudes and beliefs are low or or non-existent but that's not the goal and I want to kind of us take a step back so this next slide it's actually going to invert this As you see, here's our abusive attitudes and beliefs that's still on our x-axis, but now it's on the other side. And our acting out as it goes down is still the y-axis. But this quadrant here, if you're a math person, this is quadrant three. But this quadrant is what we just saw. But I wanted to, again, zoom out and give a different perspective of this graph because I want to make it clear the goal is not to move to minimize abusive attitudes and beliefs and acting out. Although initially that's probably pretty important if you find yourself in this quadrant. But to highlight and that the understanding is not just to minimize acting out, but it is to move towards honesty, integrity. Integrity is the piece so often that is being missed here. Transparency, openness, vulnerability. There's too many things to put all on this axis, but moving away from compartmentalizing and secret keeping into this space of of high integrity. This fundamentally is about integrity, about openness, about being able to connect with your partner. And again, same thing with the, the X axis. We're not moving just to be less abusive. We're moving towards being respectful, 
focusing on service and self-sacrifice and true love to seeing, uh, where as opposed to seeing in this section over here, where there's the abusive attitudes and beliefs, you're seeing a person as an object and to be used, you are seeing a person to be loved and to be revered even, especially when that person is your partner. And when both partners move into this other quadrant, this right up, upper right quadrant, the potential for real love, for both partners to experience love, safety, connection, and intimacy is real. That is where we're moving to. That, that is what a healthy relationship looks like when there's integrity by both partners, honesty, openness, where there's respect, where there's love, where there's a willingness to sacrifice. Now, I want to talk about a couple implications of this model as it differs from kind of how we've seen it before. First of all, I'm taking a lot of what I'm going to share here next as we talk about some of these implications from a talk by Lily Anderson. It's called Three Realms of Law, Light and Life. It was a BYU devotional she did, I think, in 2005. It is one of the best talks I've ever read, and I read it regular. I've read it dozens of times, probably at least a dozen. And every time I read it, I get more out of it. But in this talk, she is a marriage and family counselor, and she distinguishes between celestial, terrestrial, and telestial living, and that they are fundamentally different. And she, she defines them a little bit further. She defines telestial living or telestial law as being characterized as immediate gratification and appetite satisfaction. Here she says the natural man is in charge and individuals who live this law, telestial law, are in a realm in this, are completely focused on themselves and their desires, even to the exclusion of concerns about the needs or rights of others. Outcomes of living telestial law include pain, violence, and destruction. Such outcomes may be physical or emotional and are always spiritual. The pain, violence, and destruction are generally felt first by those closest to the offender. And she even gives the example, for instance, an abuser is living telestial law, but those he abuses will be the first to experience the pain. As opposed to telestial law, and we certainly can see examples of individuals who choose to, to live that type of law who, and who live here in this world. Terrestrial law is very different. Terrestrial law might be characterized as self-control and deferred or delayed gratification. Terrestrial living requires the harnessing of the natural man, and it is through obedience to the commandments of God or even a willingness to comply with the basic rules of society that we're able to do that. These rules and God's commandments require that we increase the strength of our spirit over our flesh, controlling our appetites in order to refrain from hurting others and to do what's pleasing to God. So those are how she distinguishes. And then she talks about celestial. Again, I highly encourage the talk, but you'd think poorly if I just read the entire talk to you. You probably would get more from the webinar if I just read the talk, but I'll let you seek that out on your own. But a couple of principles she talks about in this talk is that what she calls the can't skip principle is that we can't skip from telestial living to celestial, that we have to do the trench work of the terrestrial. 
and that it becomes fundamentally important for us to be able to distinguish between solid, consistent progression in the terrestrial realm and what might be termed what she calls the natural man on a good day. Because those who are living telestial law, may, it may seem like they're always going to be dangerous and frightening, but that's not the case. In the, in the, at the telestial level, the important element is there's no consistent regulation of desires. Again, there's that expectation that they should be able to gratify what they need to when they want to. But that, that's not always, that's not always going to be happening in a destructive way. Sometimes they may, when they're in a generous mood, they're, uh, excuse me, she, and she says this in her talk, when they're in a generous mood, they're gonna, no one's going to seem more generous. When they're in a spiritual mood, no one's going to seem more spiritual. But then there's these times where this destruction, this pain hurts, but it can be very confusing for those who are closest to them because they, they say, well, I see the good there, but there, there's this consistent pattern of telestial living as well. So it becomes important for us to be able to distinguish what we're experiencing, especially with people who are close to us. For one reason, and, and this is one of the things I love about this talk, she says, it is important to set appropriate terrestrial boundaries in our relationships when there is telestial, when there are telestial patterns happening. And oftentimes for those women or those individuals, men or women who are seeking to become increasingly more celestial, often our default for responding to problems, especially within a marriage, are patience, kindness, long-suffering, increasing attempts to forgive, to understand. These are, are wonderful tools. These are Christ-like qualities that we have been asked to develop. But when we are engaging with someone who is consistently falling in this teal behavior patterns, again, when they're down in that third quadrant where there's abusive attitudes and beliefs or where there's destructive acting out, we need more tools. And I'm going to read a quote from her. If we are trying to be good people and are earnestly seeking to follow Christ's celestial pattern, we may make sincere efforts to respond to injuries from others with patience, kindness, and long-suffering. These can be appropriate responses to terrestrial troubles, but not always the best response to telestial behaviors. The reason for this is that while terrestrial imperfect behaviors may be irritating, they are not destructive. And then she gives an example of a pattern of destructive behavior that a wife and her children were experiencing from a father and a partner. And she gives an example of setting a boundary. And then she makes this note. She says, notice too that this approach to holding the terrestrial line, again, setting a firm terrestrial line, brings benefits to everyone. Drawing a terrestrial line benefits the victimizer as this gives him or her the opportunity to repent rather than continue on a path of self-destruction. And drawing a terrestrial line can help turn victims into agents. This is vastly superior, of course, to what so often happens when a victim reaches his or her limit and decides I've taken it long enough, now I'm dishing it out, and at which point both end up in telestial. The Lord does not want his people to live as victims. The second, one of the other principles that Lily Anderson pulls from these from her model is that that Satan is the master counterfeiter. 
Satan is the master at mimicking a celestial model in a telestial way and selling it as God's plan or as God's way. And she gives some examples of how that happens. But the example I want to share that I see so often of this counterfeit, uh, counterfeit of something that's real and healthy and, and inspiring, that is ennobling, that is from God, where Satan draws a telestial counterfeit that is destructive and damaging and, quite frankly, is damning, is in roles within, within a partnership, roles within a relationship. So we have the proclamation of the family, which makes it very clear that there are divine roles for men and for women and for children, and that those are empowering and beautiful, that there is divinity in each individual and that we have, we have within us this light and this power. Well, Satan often will cleverly switch that around and his counterfeit is unrighteous dominion. His counterfeit is coercion rather than invitation. His counterfeit is dominance and power over dynamics rather than respectful, mutually empowering dynamics. So when Satan, when he's able to cleverly sell these false satanic models to individuals or their families, he gets a double win. Not only do the individuals and the families suffer, but he can drive a wedge between innocent victims and their source of healing, the true doctrine, pure religion. And so I see this happening within the church even, where, and, and maybe it's just because the population I work with is, and what I study is sexual addiction and pornography addiction and men, how that impacts that. But I don't know the exact numbers, but very often when there is these addictive patterns, there becomes a sense of entitlement that they believe the church supports, that they believe that their perspectives are holy, uh, that are God-given, that they have this, this higher position, this position of authority. And they use that as a justification to dominate, to coerce, to use, to demean a partner. And that is not the gospel of Jesus Christ. It never was and it never will be. And so there is a great deal of damage and spiritual abuse that can happen when you have those type of dynamics. And often so when the partner starts to buy in to those beliefs, when she starts to believe herself through her experience, through her learning process, she's internalizing those same messages that were, that were fed to her partner through pornography and then are, are now are being fed to her through her partner that she is less than, that she is not powerful, that she has no voice. But it doesn't feel right. It doesn't feel good. It, there becomes a conflict within her as she struggles for her sense of, of worth and her, her own sense of identity. And I want to pause just a moment and just acknowledge a lot of what I've talked about can be very triggering, can touch us in very, very personal ways, can bring up a lot of emotion. And I just want to acknowledge that and honor that for a moment and to encourage you, if you need to do what you need to do to, to take care of yourself, this is being recorded. And if you need to, you can always come back. But if it is bringing up an emotions, to take note of that 
And I would encourage you to find a time to, to revisit what that is bringing up within you. I'd also like to come back to this message of learning. False messages, false beliefs. This is part of living on this planet in an imperfect world, in a telestial state to some degree, is, is being learning to discern truth from error. And so when our partner has adopted or has started to internalize some degree of these false messages, that doesn't mean there is no hope. That means there is an opportunity for him or for her to, to learn the truth. True, The true doctrine of Jesus Christ is always healing and it always brings hope. It is always empowering. It is never demeaning. And so I would lay out if... If this is hitting something tender for you ladies, I want to point out another principle that I have found to be valuable. And that is to recognize the difference between the impact and the intention of destructive relationship patterns. I think oftentimes we as women get stuck between two what seem like they're contradictory truths because they're fused where we feel like that maybe something is wrong or that tr- the way we have been treated is, isn't ideal. We, we feel like if we honor the impact of, especially if there's been some degree of abuse, if we honor the impact and, and really look at it and say, this is what's happened and recognize how destructive it has been, that we are forced to villainize or to some degree to say, and you did that. And there's a lot of panic. There's a lot of fear. There's a lot of anger that can be brought up in those moments. So as we recognize the role of learning, recognizing that sometimes there is awareness, there is intention to cause pain or to cause harm, but often there isn't awareness. There isn't intention. There's this false degree of learning that they feel is right and they are playing it out. And so it is healthy and appropriate to honor the impact that has been done. And at the same time, to acknowledge the complexities of that individual and recognize that maybe they, they weren't monstrously malicious in what was happening, to give you permission to see both sides of this. Now, when you recognize there has been an impact that is destructive to you, and maybe you recognize that wasn't the intention. They don't have to intend to hurt you for it to be harmful for you. And so when you recognize an impact that is destructive, it is appropriate to take healthy steps, set boundaries, or to create distance that creates safety for you. But then at that point, you can go back and you can look at that situation and further gather an understanding of what's happening. Where is his awareness? Where is the intention? And if it's a learning issue, that gives you an opportunity to together to find a path toward healing. Just like my little four-year-old who was convinced that her kittens were going to lay eggs and she was going to get little chitlins out of those eggs. I have the opportunity to go back to her and have a dialogue with her about how, well, that's not really true. <laughs> that's not how it works. Now, she will have the choice. And those of you who are moms, you probably can see your children responding either of these ways. Taking in that truth and adjusting her schemas about the world and recognizing the difference of, 
and adapting her beliefs. As a child, they do this all the time. They make these assumptions about the world and those assumptions turn out to be wrong and they adjust and they, that helps them to make other assumptions and those are wrong and they adjust and they learn and they grow. She may accept what I have to say and that may change the way she sees it. She may tell me, and I could totally see her doing this. She may tell me that I'm wrong. <laughs> she may say, well, I know my kittens are going to have eggs, are going to lay eggs and they're going to have kittens in those eggs. She may, and she is a little bit Miss Sassy Pants. And so that may be her response for a little bit of time to just say, well, no, mom, you're wrong. <laughs> I know my kittens are going to lay eggs and I'm still waiting for that to happen. And she may, she may have that response. I don't know how she'll respond when we have that discussion. Just, and not to trivialize that those discussions or that dynamic with our spouse, because so much more is at stake when we're talking about our own relationships and we're talking about a spouse and his beliefs. And there's so much more potential for destruction than my daughter, whether or not cats lay eggs or not, is pretty benign. But the idea is that there is an opportunity for learning there. And one of the most important things for you women is to recognize within yourself what is true and to not get pulled into these false messages of who you are, what you are worth, and where your worth comes from. That is, when that happens, when you internalize that learning, oftentimes that is where the most damage happens. And so a great deal of safety and power can be found simply by grounding yourself in the truth of who you are. And just like my daughter, who thought she had a pretty accurate view of the world, sometimes we think we do too. Sometimes we think, oh, I know, you know, I've been told my whole life, uh, I'm a daughter of God, blah, blah, blah. And we, it seem, we trivialize that message and we don't really feel it. And it doesn't extend into how we see ourselves. It just becomes cognitive something that we say but when there are counterfeits let's take the example of counterfeit money when a bank wants to train their bank employees to recognize a counterfeit instead of the truth or in place of real money the way they train their employees is they have their employees handle real money they give them money to feel to experience to they make it tangible for them and it is through that, through feel that counterfeits are recognized. So ladies, some of you have had relationships in which you were truly loved, where you were honored, where you respected, where as you were held up as not just a person and your humanity, but a daughter of God, you know what that feels like. And you know when how you're being treated is not that when it is something else, what's in it, when it is a counterfeit reality. Some of you ladies may not have had that opportunity to truly soak in and feel who you are and what you're worth. Maybe in your relationship with your parents or with that, that hadn't been fully internalized. Oftentimes when that becomes the cycle as women who have been treated poorly, they assume, they internalize that that's how they should be treated and that's just what they're worth. But in the gospel, we have an, a unique opportunity to go to the source of all true love and to get the truth from him and to deeply feel that 
and to use that as a protection so that you can recognize when you are being treated in a way that is not in line with who you are and what you are worth. I'll turn it over to you, Karen, to do what you need to do, and then we'll come back to questions and some more implications of this. Thanks, Kim. So good. All right. April's going to have some information for us, and then we'll come back to our Q&A. Awesome. All right. Well, first, I just want to remind everybody that Kim is a therapist in our WORTH program. So if you are just feeling like you need to find out more information about that program, or you know somebody that might need to find out more information about that program, you can go to healingwithworth.org, or you can also go to lifechangingservices.org and click on the WORTH tab. So if, you know, the Spirit's telling you you need to find out more information, please do and find out a little bit more about that program. We want to thank everybody for coming today. And just as a reminder, this is sponsored by Life Changing Services and Mothers Who Know. Within Mothers Who Know, we do offer a mom power course that is here to teach you how to find the Savior, how to keep him in your life, how to find truth, and how to truly find the peace that you're seeking for yourself, how to gain revelation. Just some basic principles that sometimes we just need a little more information on how to find. So this is a free course. It's open enrollment. Just go to mompowertraining.com and it's open for everybody. Next week on our Stay by the Tree series, we are going to have Ashley Corgan Boyson, and she is from The Moments We Stand. She's going to be talking with Karen, and she's going to be speaking on parenting is not for the birds. And if you've ever listened to Ashley before, she is awesome. So next Tuesday is our last one of these in the Stay by the Tree series, November 10th at 9 a.m., just right back here again. Just one last thing, if anybody needs any more information about any of our programs or anything going on, lifechangingservices.org, we can help you, or you can call our main number, 877-437-6877. I feel like I'm a radio commercial every time I say that. <laughs> I'm like, I feel like I'm on the radio where they say the phone number like 12 times, but anyway, okay, just so you all know what the number is, you will have that in your head now. Anyway, also just want you all to know that For those that are listening to the recording and those that are here today, if you get our emails, I will include all of the links to all of the different talks and the things that were referenced in our meeting today. If you aren't on our email list, but just would like to have that email with all of those references, just email us at motherswhoknow at lifechangingservices.org. And I'd be more than happy to send that email out to you with all of those references. Also, for those that are thinking, I am having so much fun, I totally just want to keep going. We do have a meeting within our Mothers Who Know program. We have a group called Warrior Mothers Who Know. And in that group, it works specifically with mothers who have a child in some kind of a therapeutic program or a child who's struggling or moms who just need the support of other moms who, who know who have have maybe have some struggles in their life and we all are in the same boat. So anyway, we will turn the time back over to Kim and let you guys ask questions just so that you know, this meeting is recorded and we do post the recording both in the email that we send out and we put it on our podcast channel before it's posted. I always go through and edit out the names. So if you're listening to the recording and there's a little blip in there, it's probably because I edited the name out. But also, if you want to ask a question privately and you'd rather not have your voice on the recording, we totally get that. 
I, I've been there myself. So go ahead and put your question in the chat and either myself or BJ or Debbie, there's a few of us that can help you ask your questions. So Kim, I'll go ahead and, and we'll open it back up for questions. And then when we're ready, there is a question already in the chat. So I'll ask that when we're ready to do that. Okay. Thank you. I wanted to highlight, I've spent all this time talking about how this impacts us personally as women, but I want to make sure to highlight using this model and seeing the role of learning in these abusive attitudes and beliefs. It really emphasizes our, our importance as mothers, mothers of sons and mothers of daughters and our power in our role as a mother to teach them true doctrine, to teach our sons what, what true power, what true masculinity looks like, to teach our daughters what femininity looks like, what, what safety looks like in a relationship, what healthy looks like in a relationship. Our, our roles as mothers is critical in that learning to protect our children, whether they be... Um, boys or girls, young men or young women, as they grow up in this culture that is so saturated with pornographic messages, whether or not they're viewing it. And unfortunately, a lot are viewing it directly as well. However, our power and our influence to teach true doctrine and to give them an alternative to the messages that are being shared, it cannot be understated. And so as you raise your sons as you raise your daughters have these conversations with them help them to recognize satanic counterfeits of a, a healthy relationship help them to recognize satanic counterfeits of priesthood authority of uh, versus an unrighteous dominion in all of those in all of those situations having a mother who knows and who taught them will mean more than you know so the last thing I'll say, and then I'll open up for questions, is, and I believe it was Ralph Waldo Emerson, who says that what lies behind us and what lies before us are small matters compared to what lies within us. And for mothers who know that, who deeply feel that, who can see it in their children, can, who can see it in their sisters, who can see it in their mothers and their daughters, those they minister to, their neighbors, you are giving them a chance to feel what is real and you are buffering them against being sold counterfeits. Do not underestimate your power. Do not underestimate your worth. All right, April, are you going to be throwing questions at me? I'll just read you this first one. Karen, did you have a comment first? I just wanted to point out one thing. That axis that you shared with all of those very healthy words about openness, transparency, and honesty. And then the other axis had respect, service, and self-sacrifice. I just thought sometimes when we're teaching our children or considering our own lives and our own experience, if we don't have the kind of language to even associate with what healthy looks like or what healthy is, because I thought in our day, we feel so strongly now that we live in this hypersexualized world and being able to communicate what healthy sexuality is to kind of not just let the message of the world scream and us whisper that there has to be this come to this 
topic with a lot of love and a lot of concern and responsibility, but having language like, is it respectful? Is there a lot of sacrifice and will someone sacrifice and serve from themselves to be just the things that you can talk about and the language that you can put on? I think the slides that you shared have a lot of language on them as well as other really healthy resources if we're looking for how do we communicate these things? So thank you for that. Thank you. Thanks, Karen. All right, so here's the question. What can we do as a spouse and mother when we start to be aware of the destructive patterns passed down for generations to our children? Yes, this is a difficult question because it does become a very generational thing that learning is passed down. And very often there, there isn't the language of this is destructive, this abuse. This is just this. This is what it is. I guess I, I would start by saying don't underestimate that the power simply of your awareness of that and your willingness to be deliberate and prayerful at how to break that that cycle. We know that all all children and spouses have their agency and they will they're they will choose to adopt to some degree it will be their choice but there's so much power at giving them an alternative an alternative way to see a relationship a, a taste of healthy let them feel what real is given that chance in this example of the the money to recognize what real feels like so oftentimes when you bec become aware that maybe what your husband or you know was had modeled is what he is playing out with you and what your children are seeing modeled too and that is not healthy that can be a place of a lot of panic for women and a lot of fear of, oh my gosh, not only is this devastating me, this is going to perpetuate in my kids. And a, a place of, of panic and fear usually is not the best place to, to feel empowered. And I guess the message I would want to share is that you do have a lot of power here. You can model healthy boundaries. You can, you can model what healthy looks like. You can have and not just model it, but you can have those conversations. You can make sure that you're pointing it out to kids and, and just in easy and casual ways, depending on how destructive and how toxic your relationship is, you're going to make different decisions on how you navigate that relationship with your partner. But whether you stay or how long you stay and, and you can still, when you're watching movies with your kids, when you go to church and you, you can point things out when you're reading books and stories, point things out, whether they're, whether they're good examples or whether they're poor examples of what healthy looks like. And just, it's not usually, well, it very rarely is effective to have a single conversation with them. This is an ongoing dialogue with kids about as they form their concepts of what they're looking for in their relationship as they get older. Oftentimes the, the feeling of I'm trapped in this and I, I can't do anything, I'm stuck, can be really, can feel very, very real and disempowering. And yet your willingness to love those children and to, to talk with them openly about truth, about, again, giving them an alternative to what they maybe are seeing predominantly. There was an exercise, I don't even remember where it was, where 
it was a big conference and that we were in a big room and the, the room had a, the majority of it was uh, blue light all over. And the presenter had us clo- close our eyes and then identify the blue light. And obviously it's easy because the blue light is everywhere. But then he had us close our eyes again and identify a different color, a color that was not nearly so predominant, but that was easy to spot when our attention was called to it. Okay, now recognize the orange in the room. It was not nearly as loud or as obvious as the blue, but as soon as our attention was called to it and we were asked to look for it, it was easy to see and to distinguish. It can be like that with teaching our kids. If we teach them what it is, and where to see it and what it looks like, it becomes easy to distinguish the difference, even if the majority of the messages is the blue. And that's, I think that's where our power lies is teaching our kids what orange, if you will, what it looks like and how do you distinguish it from. And then to trust that that their discernment and give them the option to, I mean, that will be their choice too, so. Thanks, Kim. This is a little bit different. What do I do if I recognize the false attitudes and interactions, but my husband does not? If I try to bring up anything I see that is abusive, he becomes irritated and argumentative and then goes into isolation. Yeah. This one also is a hard one and a very can be very common. And I think the answer really depends on some nuances within what is going on how severe things are, what boundaries you can put in place, and also how you approach it. Sometimes there, again, there, they, oftentimes there are minor things that the word abuse in and of itself is, will be a huge turnoff to guys. Well, to anybody, if you say you're abusing me, that feels very attacking. And the, the natural reaction is going to be to feel like you have to justify your position, especially when there is a lack of awareness that he's saying, no, I'm not, <laughs> I'm not intending to. I, and so being aware of what this feels like from his perspective doesn't mean that you are giving up your position, that what's happening is not appropriate, but you are also seeing from his perspective, how it might, might be coming across. And so sometimes it can be as simple as changing the language or changing the way that you approach the situation. Sometimes it, it may be there are gentler ways to ask to, can you, can you read this book? Are you willing to read this book? And let's talk about it. And again, in some situations that can help significantly or asking to go to a counselor together. Now, sometimes the situations are far more serious where we're asking him to kind of get on the same page with you is not going to happen. And so uh, that is where you have to make that judgment and be very discerning on sometimes, again, you don't need them to agree with you for you to set healthy boundaries, but what the appropriate action is so dependent on what is, what is happening. You do not need them to agree with you for you to set healthy boundaries or to create distance, but in all things that you do, especially in a relationship, approach them from the person that you want to be and that who you are as a person was kind and loving. And setting boundaries is not unkind or unloving. Sometimes it can be the most kind and loving thing that we're doing. So if you're not sure, this is where it's so important to reach out and to dialogue with, with the counselor or with the counselor, capital C, as, 
as Christ has been often called in the scriptures or with a friend or with, uh, I'm going to say, call Karen. <laughs> Sorry. She probably doesn't want that as the answer. But I really do believe there's a lot of benefit from talking it out with someone. Sometimes it is with just with friends, but oftentimes you, you, and this is where I'm, I find my, okay, I'm going to tell you why I'm, I'm struggling with this. Um, because my fear is sometimes is just go and talk to your friends is sometimes, especially in certain communities, and sometimes even within our church, we get the same answers of, well, have you tried being more loving? Have you tried being more forgiving? Or have you, and it, sometimes the issues are severe enough where we need to take deliberate action to protect ourselves. And we don't need them to agree that they're being abusive for us to be able to act, to protect ourselves from abuse. And so again, finding, if you're not sure, finding somebody who has some training and to dialogue more into what are the options, because sorry, I'm, so if we're talking about to go back to as Lily Anderson's talk, as she talked about, if we're talking about normal terrestrial inconveniences and problems within a relationship in my here, I'm going to share my screen again, if I can. So we have, if we're up here and we have in this first quadrant where there is generally honesty, transparency, openness, respect, service, and love, we're still going to have conflicts with our spouse and there's still going to be persnickety and there's still going to be sometimes insensitive and some, and they're still going to be men <laughs> and they're going to not necessarily pick up on all that. They're not, they're not going to be perfect yet. And there's, there's going to still be some rough and uncomfortable and painful interactions. And oftentimes the, the right tools are the tools uh, that we're often most often taught. Those absolutely always have application in our marriage. But when we're, when we're dealing with destructive behaviors, when we're talking about abuse, when we're talking about pornography use or whether anything that puts us in any of these other categories, uh, these other quadrants, there, there is an often a need to utilize other tools. And so being able to distinguish is this behavior irritating and yes, maybe I can, or is it destructive to me and be able to use that a little bit as a litmus test to um, determine how, how much, what, what an appropriate response is. I don't know if that helped or if that just muddied the waters, April. I don't see a follow-up question, so it must have helped. Kim, where's the first place that you might send someone who's wondering, what is a healthy boundary? How do I set a healthy boundary? Like if I'm noticing, I, I am getting hurt. Maybe it's not to the level of complete abuse and I can't really agree with my husband. We can't get on the same page about things or a child even. What would be a first step for a healthy boundary? And, you know, there's healthy is such a word these days, right? It just seems to cover all things. That's something that if you're in the arena of betrayal trauma, you might really understand what healthy boundary means. But if you haven't been trained and gone to lots of those kinds of meetings like you gals have in the worth group, where would you point people to learn more about healthy boundaries? My first thought is books, usually because they're cheaper than therapy. <laughs> therapy is also a great thing, but 
sometimes, yeah, just being able to read a book. There's some great books. There's a book called Boundaries by Cloud and Townsend. Uh, and they write from a very religious perspective. I think it's a very powerful book that helps get a, a general concept of a boundary and how to use them correctly and how to avoid using them incorrectly. That's oftentimes as we start to learn what a boundary is, they, they can be misapplied. That's the book I recommend to people if they're asking me about boundaries is to go and look at that book that you just mentioned by Townsend. This is a fabulous book, Vicki Tidwell Palmer, Moving Beyond Betrayal. If that is your situation, but if it's not betrayal trauma, then yeah, definitely the Cloud and Townsend. So the Cloud and Townsend book I know is available in our Life Changing Services website store. If you go to lifechangingservices.org, you can find that one. Is the one by Vicki Tidwell there as well? I think so. Yeah. Okay. And then I know that the one by Cloud and Townsend, they have different relationship type boundaries like this is for marriage this is for parenting this is for they have books that relate to specific things so yeah yeah well kim we love you we're so grateful that you were here today thank you so much and this is a topic that all of us couldn't consider very personally maybe not for ourselves only but people that we care about and love something i've noticed that I just really have appreciated your perspective in coming and talking to us about this is I have three adult children and 10 grandchildren. And it has been really being the mother who was mothering children who weren't even in high school yet ambushed by the internet, right? And then now those children being coming adults and parents and just watching the fallout of how Pornography has affected their lives, both the girls and the boys, the wives and the husband of, in the adult children that I have. There is some learning and some teaching that needs to be done, right? When it comes to counteracting and speaking the light into the darkness of our hypersexualized world and really highlighting what the truth is about ourselves. I loved your message today, that it all starts with identifying you are someone who is divine and you may not in mortality have experienced that. I know exactly what love feels like, but you have experienced it through the great healer, our savior, and we still have access to that. It's more difficult to find that and to access that, but that is so important to remember it who we are, our divine identity, and that we are worth caring for and being cared for. And that our Heavenly Father and Heavenly Mother truly want that for us and that our Savior makes it possible, not just for us to heal from things that happen, but also for people to heal from their mislearning and our mislearning. So, I really like too that your message wasn't anybody's really bad and anybody's really good. It was just, it's part of the whole celestial world that we're in. It's really part of the fallout of where we're at and the answers in the gospel of Jesus Christ are so real. Thank you so much for being a resource for us and for your service to us today, Kim. 
Thank you so much, Karen. Thank you for inviting me. I'll say this really quickly. For those who don't know, probably nobody knows. I told Karen this yesterday. I'm here because of Karen, because I, I found worth and became a therapist, not knowing what I was looking for. And she was one of the first people. They're like, you need to talk to Karen. <laughs> and it was her support and her, her believing in me when she didn't even know who I was. I was just some girl jabbering on the other side of the line. <laughs> And that was, that was a few years ago. I don't I think it was only about three or so, but you ladies are blessed to have her. And thank you for the chance to come and spend some time with you this morning. Thank you so much. Again, we, we love you and appreciate you so much. Thank you for being with us today, Warrior Moms. I invite you to make a donation at the top of our website, mothersyouknow.org. Any amount you can afford today will help us keep Mothers Who Know services free for all moms. Thank you so much for your generosity. Moms, remember your divine identity and great worth. Continue in your courageous efforts to support God's great work. Notice the miracles you see every day, the evidence of the Savior's love and mercy. Find the message in your message. Reach out and share the principles you learn in Mothers Who Know with other mothers. You are God's secret weapon for good in this world. Finally, a few pieces of information for you. I recommend a few other podcast channels to listen to. Like Dragons Do They Fight podcast, that includes interviews and stories with those that have struggled and overcome something in their life. The Eternal Warriors podcast, hosted by two YSA age young men who share their story, teach valuable lessons, and interview special guests, and the Clark and Linda Show, a courageous couple that shares their journey of pornography addiction and how that affected their marriage and family. You can follow us on our social media pages on Facebook under mothersyouknow.lcs or search for Mothers You Know and on Instagram, username at mothers underscore who know. Last, if you would like additional support and training, Please go to mompowertraining.com to sign up for the next eight-week Mom Power Training class for all moms. You can also go to the Mothers Who Know website at mothersyouknow.org or our parent company, Life Changing Services, at lifechangingservices.org to learn more about our excellent services to support you and your loved ones. And by the way, if you do enroll in a program, use our promo code M. WK on the enrollment form to get $25 off a Sense of Human intake session. Thank you so much for listening today. Please feel free to email me anytime with questions or to set up a complimentary 30-minute appointment to visit. Please email me at mothersyouknow at lifechangingservices.org. Looking forward to hearing from you amazing moms. See you next time.